The time is at hand. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order. One of the many spirits said to haunt the area. Unknown animal attack. We need a great reset. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. Nevada urban legends and ghost stories are plentiful as a result of the state's rich history of mining towns and vast deserts. The state's Old West roots are evident in Nevada ghost stories, the annals of which are rife with spirits haunting ghost towns and mining camps. Though primarily known for tales of that nature, Nevada also has an abundance of other ghost stories and urban legends that are downright creepy. This week in Dark Places, we're going on a road trip into the unknown, into Nevada. My name is Junebug Fugit. Howdy. All the guys that I work with at that other store where I've been traveling to for the last few months, they're all really cool. They're into aliens and stuff. And I kind of don't want to leave that store. I like that store better than I do my own store. I want to just stay there, but I guess I have to go back to my store because winter travel and stuff would not really mix good with uh, driving 120 miles a day. I haven't told none of the guys about the podcast. I'm kind of shy about such things, I guess. I don't want people to know that I have a podcast or something. I don't know. I haven't told any of them yet, but I plan to tell them eventually. And they could be listening right now in the future. So shout out to Dave and Barrett and the whole crew there. It's time for my little conspiracy rant of the week. Those fires in Maui, Hawaii, that was not an accident. Just like the fires in Canada and Mexico and all the other fires in recent memory. These things are the result of directed energy weapons. True story. And my thought on this is that it's probably most likely the elites, the cabal, the Illuminati, those guys trying to push their agenda of climate change. And hours after these fires in Hawaii, the governor of Hawaii was on the news going on about climate change and it's out of control and stuff like that. It's a bunch of baloney. There's a possibility that it's like some kind of a false flag thing. It's the United States government doing it and going to pin it on Russia or China or somebody like that just so they can keep that agenda going. And the craziest part about all this is that there was a book released called Fire and Fury, the story of the 2023 Maui fire and its implications for climate change by a Dr. Miles Stones, who no one seems to have ever heard of. And it chronicles the events of August 8th through 11th, 2023. And... It was published on August 10th, 2023. So it was published a day before 
the days that it included in the fire. <laughs> kind of fishy. And also, it takes a long time for books to go through publishers and stuff like that, too. So, how did this book go through its publisher and everything and get released two days after the fire happened? Do your own research. <laughs> This is your friend, Mr. Haunted, with some breaking news. Apparently, a Boston woman says her f- she fractured her ankle when she slipped on a piece of prosciutto. Now, she's suing. Honey, I slipped on a piece of prosciutto! That was my impression of an actual reenactment. So, a woman who fractured her left ankle during a trip with her husband to the Italian Food Emporium, Italy, in Boston, late last year, is blaming her injury on a piece of ham. Alice Cohen was headed to the area where food samples are distributed to customers, and when she slipped on a piece of prosciutto and fell, according to a lawsuit, filed Friday in Suffolk Superior Court in Boston. Alice Cohen sustained bodily injuries, a loss of enjoyment of life, pain and suffering, and incurred necessary medical expenses for medical care and attention. Her medical expenses, including a hospital visit and physical therapy, have resulted in more than $7,500 in bills. Cohen and her husband, Ronald of Guilford, New Hampshire, are seeking a jury trial and at least $50,000 in damages. The lawsuit claims Italy was negligent for not properly cleaning the floor. The lawsuit also claims loss of consortium. I hate loss of consortium! The restaurant had a duty to ensure that the surface of the floors were free from unnecessary dangers, a duty to use extraordinary care to maintain the premises in a reasonably safe condition, and a duty to warn of such dangerous conditions. Warning! There may be ham on the floor, shoppers! Italy is a gourmet Italian restaurant and food market with eight locations in the U.S. and eight overseas, according to the company's website. Prosciutto is a type of thinly sliced cured ham that originated in Italy. In Dark Places have emailed Italy and have not received a response yet at press time. This is Mr. Haunted with breaking news. Now back to In Dark Places. Hey, thank you, Jimmy. I've got an update on a story that we talked about last week. Aliens terrorizing Peruvian village revealed to be mischievous miners by Tim Banal. Peruvian authorities have identified the alleged aliens 
that have been terrorizing a village for the past month and revealed that the extraterrestrials were actually a group of miners with a scheme straight out of the classic cartoon Scooby-Doo. The wild case, which made headlines earlier this week, began last month when the Ikitu indigenous people living in the district of Alto Nene reported nightly visits from fantastic beings believed to be aliens or supernatural entities that seemingly possessed the power to levitate. Following an attack on a teenage girl by one of the eerie interlopers, Peruvian authorities descended on the scene to investigate and managed to quickly unmask the nefarious ETs. In detailing the findings of their investigation, an official reportedly indicated that the visitors were actually a group of individuals who were illegally mining for gold in the nearby jungle. Amazingly, lest one think that the accounts of levitating aliens were a case of mass hysteria or simply made up out of whole cloth, he explained that the gang actually used jetpacks to make it appear as if the beings were not bound by the laws of gravity. The purpose of the elaborate production was to convince the villagers that aliens or supernatural beings had overtaken the jungle, so they fearfully avoided the area while the mining operation was underway. Or at least that's what the elites would like for you to believe. And this is your week's Cryptid Corner. Devil's Lake Monster out of Wisconsin. Some say that this octopus-like beast was responsible for an untold number of deaths, but the Nakota Indians tell a tale about a struggling creature which is uncannily similar to the allegedly extinct plesiosaur. Located in Sauk County, Wisconsin, Devil's Lake is an eerie, mist-shrouded body of brackish water carved by glaciers during the last ice age. This bluff, quarantined lake could generate a deep bone chill, even if it weren't the alleged home of a pair of vicious aquatic monsters. Originally known to the Native American Nakota Sioux as Madewakan, roughly translated as Mystery or Bad Spirit Lake, although some insist that it simply means sacred. This stretch of deep, cold, salt-infested water has been known by many names over the centuries, but it wasn't until white settlers finally claimed the land in the middle of the 1800s that the lake finally gained its current name, Devil's Lake. It is a name which residents claim the lake lives up to. One of the earliest legends involving the creature of Devil's Lake revolves around a Native American Indian chief who assembled an expedition of young warriors to go on a late-night hunting trip on the fauna fertile lands across the lake. The full moon reflected off of the night-blackened waters as the young men and their leader slipped the canoe into the water and began their late-night trek. Suddenly, a flurry of tentacles ripped through the surf, capsizing the canoe and pulling the thrashing, terrified men 
beneath the brackish water. Although no one survived this ill-fated expedition, their screams alerted fellow tribesmen who rushed onto the beach and were able to bear witness to this horrific event in grisly detail. Stop it! Due to the moon's lingering glow. People messaging me are ruining my story. The surviving warriors of this tribe, in order to pay homage to their fallen brethren, as well as appease what they believe to be the demon of the lake, held a festival every year during which gifts and animal sacrifices were thrown into the water. Their tradition continues to this day, although nowadays the annual event is treated more along the lines of an annual picnic that celebrates tribal legends and traditions. Although most mainstream scientists agree there is nothing in the zoological or fossil record regarding a North American freshwater octopi, this report does bear some striking similarities to accounts of a similar predatory beast known as the Oklahoma octopus. And for some reason, he's not scary at all. Oh boy, gee kids, here comes the Oklahoma octopus. Ooh. As well as the Bahamas' notorious blue hole dweller, the Luska. As if a colossal octopus-like beast weren't more than enough monster for one body of water. When the first Christian missionaries arrived on the shores of Devil's Lake, they were greeted by the Nakoda tribe, who told them about yet another creature that was revealed in the year of the Great Drought. The Nakodas remained near the swiftly drying lake, not only because it was the only water source for miles, but also because the animals upon which they fed were forced to expose themselves in order to drink. Providing the tribe with an ample and relatively simple hunt. As the summer progressed, the lake grew smaller and smaller until eventually became two lakes, separated only by a shallow strip of mud, which ran through the center. One morning, the Nakotas awoke to find what they described as a huge fish-like creature, which they referred to as Hokua, trapped on the narrow, muddy strip of exposed lake bed. The tribe watched as the apparently amphibious animal, which they described as having a large body, long neck, and small head, much like other prototypical lake monsters, such as Champ, the Loch Ness Monster, thrashed and writhed in an effort to free itself from its drying perch for days. The sight filled the Nakoda with both awe and terror, and not even the bravest warrior dared to approach the creature, which they believed to be Unkzina, the vile progeny of the evil spirit Unk, and the lizard beast known as Unkzingi. For fear that the spirit's wrath would bring on even greater hardships than just the drought, Eventually, the animal, was, the animal was able to free itself and make its way back into the deeper portion of the lake. For anyone who might assume that they have nothing to fear from these aquatic enigmas while on the shore, it should be noted that since the 1970s, there have been reports from campers around the lake of shadowy figures that skulk around tents in the dark of night. These figures are described as large, upright, and hairy, much like reports of hairy hominids. So, it would seem that when visiting Devil's Lake, no place is truly safe.
that's the Devil's Lake Monster out of Wisconsin. Now, back to more In Dark Places with your fearless leader, Junebug. What a cryptic corner that was. Hand them all. And we gotta go there sometime. Take a little road trip. Oh yeah, we're on a road trip to Nevada right now as we speak. But first, here is your Nicholas Cage Meltdown of the Week. This week on the show, our series, Road Trip into the Unknown, takes on a little road trip to Nevada. Nevada is a state in the western region of the United States. It is bordered by Oregon to the northwest, Idaho to the northeast, California to the west, Arizona to the southeast, and Utah to the east. Nevada is the 7th most extensive and 32nd most populous and the 9th least densely populated in the United States. It was the 36th state admitted into the Union on October 31st, 1864. You shut up, Esther. You just keep sucking on that sucker, sucker. Shut your devil breasted lips. He who keep running thy lippies will get their lippies splitted with one of these. You big dummy. All right, in dark placers. This is your driver, Mr. Haunted, and we're pulling into a haunted place in Las Vegas. The House of Red Fox. Everybody out. You big dummy and Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. 
holy mackles, were both catchphrases made famous by the comedian named John Elroy Sanford. That was you, Junebug. Don't get mad at that little... (laughs) Better known as Red Fox. During the 70s and 80s, I grew up watching Sanford and Son. The show was about a junk dealer named Fred Sanford and his son Lamont trying to get through life buying and selling other people's junk. If you aren't old enough to remember Sanford and Son, I recommend you check out some of the old episodes. Even today, the jokes are still funny. Sanford was born in St. Louis on December 9th, 1922. Buckle my shoe. Although poor, he found success as an entertainer and became a wealthy man. He then did what many wealthy people often do, as in Fox's case. Don't do. He didn't pay his income taxes. I can remember watching the asset seizure on the news back in 1989. The IRS seized his home and seven of his cars and other personal property to satisfy his unpaid taxes he incurred from 1983 to 1986. Fox was left penniless. He then struggled to find new acting jobs and recover from his financial downfall. However, it wasn't easy for an elderly man pushing 70 to make a comeback. Those who knew him said the stress of losing his home and possessions to the IRS broke him. While filming on the set of a comedy called The Royal Family, collapsed Fox collapsed from a heart attack. He died on October 11, 1991. A famous Elvis impersonator named Jesse Guerin bought Fox's former home from a tax sale. During the early 90s, a program called A Current Affair interviewed Guerin about living in Fox's former home. Guerin said he didn't stay long and neither did his uncle, who stayed with Guerin. He claimed he felt a ghostly presence in the home. Guerin said a door opened by itself and lights also turned off and on by themselves. A longtime neighbor told Garen it could only be Fox's spirit because he loved his home so much. During the current affair episode, a seance was held. The psychic who held it claimed Fox's spirit haunted the house and was angered by changes Garen had made to the house. Garen told current affair he didn't feel comfortable sharing his home with a ghost. He later sold the house. It then became occupied by a business called Aqua Air. Paul Merlino, the owner, also claimed to experience his fox's spirit. He said blinds would move as if someone brushed past them, and a door that was part of Fox's bedroom opened up on its own. Merlino said he knew it was Fox either entering or leaving the room. Garen and Aqua Air have both left the property. Google Maps now lists the Las Vegas property on 5460 Southeastern Avenue as a realty office. I have often read stories about people who have become so attached to their earthly homes and other possessions that they want to stay after they die. Is it possible for someone to roam the earth after they die because they cannot bear to leave a house Fox had built his beloved home in 1969 and had always expressed his love for Las Vegas. He once told a neighbor that when he died, he wasn't going to heaven or hell, 
but he was staying in Vegas. Back in the days when Fox began his comedy act, Las Vegas was the place for entertainers. Big-name entertainers like Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Sammy Davis Jr. made the place famous. Red Fox departed from his life 30 years ago. Fans can still watch reruns of Sanford and Son on video. Uh, he was a legendary comedian who paved the way for comics like Eddie Murphy and the late Richard Pryor. Does Fox still live in the home seized from him by the IRS? I wouldn't be surprised if he's still telling dirty jokes to anyone willing to listen. His home is also included in a few Las Vegas ghost tours. But when it comes to death, it's a journey everyone must take alone. If Fox's spirit is restless and remains in Las Vegas, perhaps he will one day decide to entertain a crowd somewhere in the hereafter. In the heart of the semi-ghost town of Goldfield, Nevada, outside Tonopah, rests the decaying beauty of the Goldfield Hotel, which, as it happens, is one of the most haunted places in America. Goldfield was a traditional Nevada boomtown. Gold was discovered in 1902, and like the rest of the boomtowns, swelled seemingly overnight into, at one time, the largest city in Nevada. However, when the mines ran dry, people moved on. But not before massive projects were undertaken, such as the Goldfield Hotel. Over the course of 20 years, the population went from 0 to 35,000 to 1,500. As is the way in most of Nevada's history, a massive fire in 1923 devoured the town and 27 blocks were destroyed in its wake. The Goldfield Hotel opened its doors in 1908 at the peak of the gold rush, and it was a perfect representation for the lavish and prosperous times the early gold rush of the 20th century was known for. It cost over $300,000 to complete, an equivalent to about $9 million today. Designed by architect George E. Holsworth, the hotel included 154, each equipped with telephones, electric lights, and heated steam. Some of the Gatsy-esque designs included crystal chandeliers, gold leaf ceilings, black leather upholstery, and mahogany panel walls. It also included one of the very first elevators west of the Mississippi. After completion, it was sold to mining titan George Wingfield, who was the majority owner of the Goldfield Consolidated Mining Company. It was purchased for $200,000 in cash and stocks worth $250,000, a total of $12 million in today's dollar. However, as we've seen from all boom towns, by the 1930s the gold was waning, and so too was the population of Goldfield. In 1923, the hotel was sold to Newton Crumley, who ended up digging two mine shafts beneath the hotel in 1925, which resulted in a major loss when no gold was found in either. During World War II, the hotel, now practically in shambles, housed Army Corps soldiers from the Tonopah Air Base 
end in 1945 when they officially left the hotel shut its doors and they remain shut today it is currently owned by a Carson City rancher by the name of Edgar Red Roberts who purchased the hotel during a 2003 auction for $360,000 along with a few hundred acres of land however just because the hotel is shut up doesn't mean it's unoccupied though there are many ghosts and specters that are said to haunt this lavish hotel the most well known is a woman known as Elizabeth I'm coming to join you the legend goes that George Wingfield the second owner of the hotel was Elizabeth's most prolific customer as a lady of the night that is a popular career for a woman during the boomtown years it's said that Elizabeth became pregnant with Wingfield's child which would have been a major scandal for a titan such as Wingfield who was not only a multimillionaire owning properties all over Nevada but was a major politician during that day as well Wingfield paid Elizabeth off for some time but as she began to show she wanted him to do his part in taking care of their child so instead Wingfield kidnapped Elizabeth and stashed her away in room 109 chaining her to a radiator until she gave birth for months she begged for mercy and called out for help but was never released from her imprisonment some people say that she died in childbirth others say Wingfield murdered her shortly after the baby was born afterward as the legend goes Wingfield took the newborn babe and tossed it down a mine shaft to hide the evidence of his scandal people say Wingfield was forever cursed by the terrible deed leading to the ruin of his fortune in 1932 12 of his banks collapsed which almost led to the complete economic ruin of Nevada visitors and thrill seekers who tour the hotel often report seeing Elizabeth wandering the halls looking for her lost child she is said to be wearing a white gown with long flowing hair and a miserable expression during the night you can hear her calling out for her child as she searches the rooms of the dilapidated hotel in room 109 in which she spent her last agonizing months of her life it is said to be intensely cold and no amount of heat can warm it a baby's cry can often be heard from the mine shafts beneath the hotel in addition to Elizabeth there are said to be an array of additional spirits that make themselves known to visitors two of them are said to be hotel occupants who committed suicide on the third floor who have been spotted by dozens of people the first is said to be a woman who hanged herself in one of the rooms and the second a man who jumped from the window of his room in the gold room the main dining room there is said to be an evil spirit known only as the stabber who attacks trespassers to the dining room hall with a large kitchen knife there are also three trickster child spirits who are said to haunt the lobby beside the staircase who sneak up behind people tap on their backs before giggling and ring away there's also a story of miners that will be thrown down the mine shafts beneath the hotel to their deaths by Wingfield who would take their gold for himself one of the owners in the 1980s supposedly found human remains in the basement of the hotel near the elevator shaft 
after hearing rattling coming from the basement when no one was in the building. And finally, George Wingfield is said to haunt the hotel, and people say they can still smell his cigar smoke through the hotel. And people have said to have found fresh cigar ashes in his room on the first floor in 2017. According to one of the Goldfield tour guides, a man drove from the east coast to the hotel, stood outside, and shot himself with a note stating he wanted to be the next ghost to haunt the hotel. The hotel is a favorite among ghost hunters, psychics, and independent thrill seekers who hope to catch a glimpse of something paranormal. There are several videos on YouTube showing the inside of the hotel today, as tours are still given by townsfolk who love to share the history of their town with visitors. Now, with that um, latest uh, Peru alien invasion going on, uh, it reminded me of something we might have forgotten about, which um, happened in April. Um, they say that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but apparently no one told E.T. Ten minutes before midnight on the evening of April 30th, an officer for the Las Vegas Metro Police captured body cam footage of a blue object streaking low and fast across the sky. Moments later, emergency responders received a 911 call reporting something straight out of sci-fi's resident alien. In a recording, the caller can be heard describing an object in their backyard and two non-human entities. There's like an eight-foot person, and it has big eyes, and it's looking at us. I swear to God, this is not a joke. We're actually terrified. They're very large. They're like eight foot, nine foot, ten foot tall. They look like aliens to us. Big eyes. They have big eyes like I can't explain it, and a big uh, mouth. They're shiny eyes, and they're not human. They're 100% not human. Officers responding to the call can be heard saying, I'm so nervous right now. I have butterflies, bro. I saw a shooting star, and now these people say there are aliens in their backyard. Officers arrived at the scene and took statements from witnesses, but found no physical evidence or aliens or a spacecraft. By the time officers arrived on the scene, whoever or whatever was in the backyard if indeed there was anything at all, had vanished. All we know for sure is that something happened in Las Vegas on the evening of April 30th, and we may never know precisely what it was. Officers left witnesses with one parting message. If those nine-foot beings come back, don't call us, all right? Deal with it yourself. I ain't dealing with that. So we got that incident. And then we got the uh, Peruvian alien invasion going on right now. And then, how about this little ditty? I'm telling you, I'm getting the f off. And there's a reason why I'm getting the f off. And everyone can either believe it or they cannot believe it. I don't give two f But I am telling you right now, that mother f that mother back there is not real. And you can sit on this plane and you 
die with them or not, I'm not going to. Alright, so this has got to be the slowest alien invasion I've ever seen. But something fishy's going on. Stay tuned in Dark Places, listeners, for more of these alien stories and more. Thank you. The one woman on the airplane is like the ultimate Karen. What's with her voice? Can you just imagine living with that? I don't want lasagna for dinner tonight. Her poor husband. <laughs> I should take a sound clip of her voice and stick it in with the other voices that are in the intro theme. <laughs> it's like she's trying to give them a ultimatum or something to decide. Like either the guy in the hoodie goes or she goes. And <laughs> she's like prolonging it and everything. Like, I will get off this plane. And then this one guy's like sitting nearby and he's like, well, okay, bye then. Reminds me of Tombstone, Curly Bill. Well, bye. It's a strange time to be on an airplane right now, though. Got all these demons and weird, crazy things happening and stuff. Saw a video a couple days ago of a demon manifesting in some woman and she was like, crawling around on the ceiling and being all exorcist and everything. Good times. Word has it that Area 51 is in Nevada, but that place doesn't really exist, so we're just going to skip that. For fun, it's a wonderful toy. Like walks downstairs and runner in pairs and makes a slinkity sound. This episode of In Dark Places is sponsored in part by Slinky. There's only one original Slinky brand. Celebrate 75 years of wiggly jiggly fun with Slinky. Generations of children and adults have loved playing with Slinky. This classic metal spring toy walks downstairs, alone or in pairs, and makes a slinkity sound. First invented by mechanical engineer Richard James in 1943 during an experiment with tension coils, James accidentally dropped a spring on the floor and watched as it began to walk. Two years later, he introduced his walking spring toy in Gimbel's department store during Christmas, and the Slinky immediately sold out. Since its debut, over 300 million Slinkies have been sold worldwide. In 2000, this classic toy was inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame. Made 75 years ago, Slinky continues to be a favorite toy of children and adults all over the world. Slinky is fun for a girl or a boy and makes an ideal gift, stocking stuffer, prize, or present. Everyone loves a Slinky. It's Slinky, it's Slinky, for fun it's a wonderful toy. Like walks downstairs and runner in pairs and makes a slinkity sound. Pyramid Lake is located just a few miles north of Reno, Nevada, on the Piate Indian Reservation. 
This beautiful lake with natural stone formations has been the continuing source of two very different legends throughout the years. The first of these concerns the water babies. It may simply be coincidence, but almost every spring an unlikely angler disappears while trying to catch a record-sized cutthroat trout. Their bodies are seldom recovered. Some attribute the disappearances to the 350-foot depth of the lake, while others blame the water babies. Water babies, water babies, fishermen live in fear. Water babies, water babies. <laughs> oh, sorry. Probably shouldn't sing. I thought it would be like a nice little kumbaya moment. Back to the story. What are the water babies? Since no one has ever lived to tell the tale, it all depends upon whom you ask. It's been established that before the white man arrived at Pyramid Lake, members of the Piate tribe threw ill-formed or premature babies into the water. The tribe felt this a necessity to keep the tribe strong in the harsh desert environment. According to this first version of the legend, the angry spirits of these cast-off infants took hold of the lake over the centuries. Now, nearly every spring, they take revenge upon unlikely fishermen. Water babies. Water babies. La 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 la. Everybody sing. Water babies. Water babies. La 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 la. The Piates who live near the lake tell a different tale. According to staff members at the Pyramid Lake Piate Tribe Museum and Visitor Center, this story began with a family vacation to the California coast. While there, a Piate boy met and fell in love with a mermaid-like creature. He was determined to marry her and brought her home to Pyramid Lake to meet his tribe members. They insisted that he take her back to the ocean, but before they left, the rejected creature put a curse on the water. Shortly afterward, two sisters were washing clothes in the river. One sister had a small infant whom she left in the shade of a large tree while she did her chores. Unnoticed by the adults, a serpent emerged from the river, eating the child and taking on its form. When the mother went to feed her child, the demonic infant began to devour the young mother. When the sister and other tribe members couldn't make the baby release its grip, they called for a medicine man. A fateful deal was made. The demon would be free to inhabit the lake if the young mother was restored to health. Mythbusters and ghost hunters are reportedly baffled by paranormal presence looming over Pyramid Lake. People have reported hearing the dejected cries of an invisible baby or the laughter of phantom children. Pyramid Lake natives say that the noises are bad omens. If you hear it, it's bad news. If you see it, you're dead. Obviously, the beauty of this lake may be a siren call. Perhaps 
it would be best to view it from a distance and then simply move on. Or perhaps you would rather visit Stone Mother. One day the father of all Indians came to this area and lived on a mountain near Stillwater. It is said that he was created near Reese River. He was a very great and good man. He was very lonesome and wished he had someone to keep him company. One day, much later, woman heard about man. She was married to Bear. She wished that someday she might see man, and this made Bear very jealous. One day, woman and Bear had a fight. They fought for a long time, and finally she knocked him down and killed him with a club. She decided to leave the country and go north in search of man. She had many interesting experiences on her trip. Even today, her footprints can be seen along Mono Lake. Near Urington, she fought a giant who tried to eat her. She managed to kill him, and his body turned to stone, where it can be seen today. She arrived at Stillwater Mountain at last. There, she saw a man who was so handsome. She hid from him in fear he might leave. One day, as man was walking around, he saw woman's tracks. He started to look for her and called out, saying that he knew she was around. <laughs> so he's like walking around saying, Hey woman, I know you're here somewhere. <laughs> At last, she came out from hiding. She was nervous and very tired from her trip. He noticed this and spoke to her kindly. He asked her to go with him to his camp where he would give her food. She meekly followed him. After they finished eating, man asked woman to stay with him. That night she stayed near the fire. The next night she slept by the door. Each night she moved a little closer. On the fifth night, they were married. They had many children. Their firstborn was a boy who was very mean. He was always causing trouble among the other children. One day, when they were fighting, the father called the children together to talk to them. He told them if they continued to fight, he would have to separate them. They started fighting before he finished talking. The man became very angry. He stopped them and said, I am going to separate you now. I shall go up to my room in the sky. When you die, you will come up to me. All you have to do is follow the dusty road, pointing to the Milky Way. You will reach my home, where I shall be waiting. Someday, I hope you will all come to your senses and live together in peace. Slowly, he called the oldest boy and gave him one of the girls. He sent them west. They became the Pit Rivers. The other children, who were peaceful, he kept at home. He told them that they were to take good care of their mother, whom he was leaving with them. They became the Puits. They went up into the mountains, then up to the sky. The Puits grew into a strong tribe, but Woman still grieved for the other children. Woman was so sad that she began to cry bitterly. She missed her other children very much. She cried more and more each day. One day she decided to sit near a mountain where she could look toward Pit River country. She sat there day after day crying. Her tears fell so fast that they formed a great lake beneath her called Pyramid Lake. 
She sat so long that she turned to stone. There she remains till this day, sitting on the eastern shore of Pyramid Lake, with her basket by her side. Alright, we're uh, continuing our field trip in Las Vegas. Please put your personal belongings under your seat or in your overhead compartment. We're in a little, little bad section right here. Let me back in. Junebug, watch out for me back there. Make sure I'm not going to hit that that wall. Okay, stop. Hey, Jimmy, stop. All right. Okay, stop now. Perfect. <laughs> Close one. So now, we're at the fort. No, not the fort. <laughs> the Hotel Apache. Located on 128 East Fremont Street. Down the long and narrow hallways of the Hotel Apache and up four flights, you'll land at room 400, once known as the penthouse of the historic downtown hotel. Tony Cornero, one of the original owners, was a bootlegger and gambling entrepreneur, and as Elizabeth Bristow explained, he wasn't known for being very a very up-and-up businessman. Sometimes with that type of business can come some interesting activity that happens around these people, and it's likely that some of that activity found its way near this property, if not potentially on it, uh, said Bristow, who's the social media manager for TLC Casinos. And ever since, the property, with its quirky rolling hallways and dusty secret rooms, I want to be in a secret dusty room, has been known for paranormal activity. Employees and guests report hearing voices, seeing shadows, and noticing objects being moved. Even Bristow herself has been caught dumbfounded. Right before we reopened the hotel after remodeling it, the employees got to stay to do a test run, make sure everything was working the way it was supposed to work. Bristow arrived early in the afternoon before her friend was to join her. She began to hear noise in the next room, like someone was moving furniture and even sounded like somebody was trying to open the windows, which had just been sealed. My concern was someone was in the room and not knowing that things had been sealed would accidentally break it, if not knowing. So I called down to our front desk. She says, hold on for a second. There's no one in that room and there's no one staying in that room and there's no one going to be in that room. Like, okay, everything's fine. Bristow said with a laugh. And for someone who believes in that kind of thing, she said it was not only interesting, but great. So hop on board in Dark Placers. We're going to get back in the bus and continue our field trip through Las Vegas, Nevada. Have you ever heard the heartbreaking details of the Yellow Jacket Mine Fire? The story behind this haunted mine in 
Gold Hill, Nevada is a horrible tragedy. Sadly, what happened beneath the ground on a fateful day in 1869 stayed beneath the ground. That is, until the miners' apparitions began to emerge at night. On April 7, 1869, the miners at Gold Hills Yellow Jacket Mines said goodbye to their families and went to work like on any other day. They had no idea that many of them wouldn't ever make it back home. Later that morning, an uncontrollable methane fire broke out at the mine's 800-foot level, collapsing timbers and quickly spreading to neighboring mines. The miners were trapped below with no chance for escape. Families watched in horror as the mine burned for several days, killing more than 35 miners. The numbers would have been higher, but the fire happened during a shift change. Some say the fire was caused by an unattended lantern. Others claim it was set on fire on purpose by greedy men who were trying to crash the market on silver. Neither theory is confirmed. It is believed that 11 dead miners haunt the mine. Lights and glowing blue and white orbs have been seen near the mine shaft's entrance. The faint sound of cries have been heard by explorers deep inside the mine. The nearby Gold Hill Hotel and Saloon sees paranormal activity too, such as apparitions of miners in work gear who walk around near the hotel at nighttime. The ghosts come out in full force on the anniversary of the fire. The haunted mine is closed and trespassing is not allowed. All that's left is the mine's incline chute, head frame, a miner's cabin, and of course, the ghosts of the dead miners. The cabin is now rented out to intrepid guests by the Gold Hill Hotel. Next time you visit or pass through Gold Hill, be sure to pay your respects to the men who died in the Yellow Jacket Mine Fire. Maybe, just maybe, their apparitions will go easy on you. Okay, in dark placers. We're making another stop in Las Vegas right now. Let me back in here. Let me concentrate. Stop looking at me when I'm backing up. All right. Now we're going to pay a visit to the Mob Museum. Located on 300 Stewart Avenue, Las Vegas, Nevada. If you have any interest in the colorful mob history of Las Vegas, and who doesn't, then you are going to have to include the Mob Museum, officially known as the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement, as part of your travel itinerary. To top it off, the Mob Museum, which is located in a former courthouse in downtown Las Vegas, where many local mobsters were prosecuted has the reputation of being haunted by some of these same gangsters. Fun fact tidbit, when I was a kid, I used to hear the word mobster a lot, and I didn't know what one was, and I just thought it was another kind of monster, and I thought it sounded even scarier than the monster. Like, Jimmy, there's a mobster under your bed. Holy Toledo. In other words... It's a great place to pair your ghost hunting skills while seeking out great trivia on Sin City's most famous and infamous mobsters. For instance, if you want to speculate about who exactly bombed the car of Frank Lefty Rosenthal, 
portrayed by Robert De Niro in Casino, then you've definitely come to the right place. By the way, the basement of the Mob Museum contains an immersive Prohibition history exhibit space that features a real speakeasy and distillery. Lake Tahoe is a magnificent lake, and if you talk to the locals, they'll happily tell you that a large serpent-like creature lives in the deepest part of the lake. Named Tessie, the monster appears in June of every even-numbered year. So get out there next year, 2024. Its legend goes back to the 19th century and made a resurgence in 1984 when two women claimed to have seen a leviathan in the water. Lake Tahoe holds many secrets and its monstrous depths keep the world wondering what the water really holds. ...of my show right now, but I'm having such a wonderful time and I have no other place to go. <laughs> so if you'd like me to stay and play some more for you, I'd love to. If you um, recognize that voice right there, that's Liberace. And a little story before I get into this. When I was a kid, my mother had uh, season tickets to this venue... And uh, my dad was supposed to be her date for all these concerts, but a lot of times he was a no-call, no-show, which made me very happy because she would take me along with her. And uh, I saw um, Tom Jones, Engelbert Humperdinck, Johnny Cash, Charlie Rich, uh, Frankie Valli, Florence Henderson. And I saw everyone uh, when I was a kid, multiple times, too. Anyway, so um, it, it got to the point where my mom used to get this uh, sheet in the beginning of the season. And being a season ticket holder, you could pick like 10 out of the 15 shows that you want to go see. So I remember I was going down the checklist. And I was in the, I was in the living room and I yelled out, Ma, who's Liberace? And she said, he plays piano. I said, well, I don't know him. So I'm not going to go to that one. Now I kind of wish I did. But I didn't know who he was. So anyways... The Liberace Museum collection. Uh, Liberace, who was uh, born in 1919, died in 1987. Um, Liberace was a cornerstone of the Las Vegas entertainment industry for more than four decades. Renowned for his flamboyant excess, both on and off the stage, Liberace was born in New York City and raised in Los Angeles. The Liberace Museum collection has relocated multiple times throughout the years, and it is currently housed at Thriller Villa, the former residence of Michael Jackson. That's a cool name right there. I'm renaming my house Thriller Villa. The colorful stage, costumes, pianos, and other items from Liberace's illustrious career accompany the Liberace Museum collection from one location to another, wherever it may go. However, it seems that wherever his things go, Liberace's spirit also follows. While visiting the museum, some have reportedly seen the flash of his sequined cape in the dark. Holy moly. 
And uh, here's a bit. Here's a bit of liver lace. The Haunted Rob Canyon. In the early 1970s, the mutilated bodies of a woman and three men were unearthed in this, at the time, remote high desert canyon in West Reno. To this day, the murders have not been solved, and several visiting psychics feel the dead may be attempting to engage the living to solve their gruesome murders. Currently, the canyon sits below a city park, and the mesa top high above is speckled with houses. Over the years, residents have reported seeing strange lights and hearing very disturbing sounds, including a blood-curdling scream that you will never forget for the rest of your life, echoing up the canyon. Although many longtime residents of the area are reluctant to talk about what they have experienced, it is hard to not find someone without a personal account of paranormal activity. Although many other West Reno parks are crowded in summer evenings, you will never see anyone in here after sunset. Reportedly, both the Reno Police Department and Washoe County Sheriff's Office no longer responds to calls to investigate the disturbances in the canyon. And they often say, just close your window and stay out of that canyon at night. When paranormal investigators enter the canyon, they are hit with an immediate and overwhelming feeling of dread and fear, causing many premature endings to their investigations. In a more narrow part of the canyon, upstream from the bridge, shadow men have appeared to both investigators and fixed infrared cameras. The phenomena seem to center around the large dead tree next to the creek. Many reports of a horrible and prolonged scream emulate from this general area. This is also the area that cold spots are usually reported and physical contact felt. EVP recordings made here have produced low-level chant-like whisperings. In a terrifying session in the fall of 2005, Mike Blankenship, an investigator from Kansas, was knocked to the ground here and held down for a few seconds by an unseen and unrecorded force. That's about all the creepy urban legend stories on our road trip to Nevada. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again right here next week. God bless. Seal your fate. Keep 
people there go missing. Three fifty feet deep. They were only wishing their souls they could keep. Water babies, water babies, fishermen live in fear. Water babies, water babies, don't you dare go near. Casting away the weak to make the tribe strong. Down in the desert lake with those who don't belong. Water babies, water babies, fishermen live in fear. Water babies, water babies, don't you dare go near. Water babies, water babies, fishermen live in fear. Water babies. Water babies, don't you dare go near. There was a podcast before that would have some kind of a paranormal theme song related to the stories that they covered in their episodes. And I think they were called Suncoast Paranormal. And this was like seven or eight years ago. I met those guys at the Mothman Festival and I listened to their show quite a few times. It was good. But I've listened to so many other podcasts over the years I forgot the name of it. But I think it was Suncoast Paranormal. And I don't think they're around anymore. So that's like kind of my little shout out to them. I don't know how they would write songs like that every week. Because it took me like six days to edit this little three minute song. And that's why this episode is so late. Sorry about that. I thought it would be fun though. See you next week. Water babies, water babies, gonna put them on you.